I'm Adam Kaiser. And I'm Jordan Fees. With us today is Stacey Hanna, who's General Counsel on Ethics and Compliance at Lonza, who's a, a global leader in life sciences. Uh, you've probably heard their name out there quite a bit in a very positive way in terms of their involvement with uh, COVID vaccines and so forth. And um, previously, Stacey was Senior Director of Global Compliance at Capsigel, uh, and they were actually acquired by Lonza. And she's got some really interesting stories, lessons and advice to share with compliance professionals going through a merger or acquisition. But as always, before we get to our conversation with her, let's cover some of the trending topics impacting our compliance practitioner friends around the world. Okay, so today I wanted to talk to you about the Purdue Pharma opioid story. Purdue Pharma is the OxyContin maker, uh, for those of you who don't know. And I mean, this case has really been unfolding for months. I mean, they're now bankrupt um, and have admitted to having defrauded U.S. authorities. They pled guilty to federal charges in November of 2020, and they've settled charges with the Department of Justice for around $8.3 billion for violating anti-kickback rules and not taking the, you know, the necessary preventative measures to prevent these drugs from being sold illegally. So a, a lot of things happening here, but a huge case. Yeah. I mean, $8.3 billion. I mean, that's, if that's not a message, I don't know what is. That's got to be up there in terms of uh, violations and, and fines. And just basically, I mean, the business is being is down, right? They're going down or they already are down in terms of bankruptcy and so forth. So you're not doing things right. You're not, you know, doing the right thing and they catch up with you. They caught up with them in a really profound way. Right. I mean, they're paying the price literally and with their reputation and with the biggest costs. But I think, you know, when I was reading into the story, it was so interesting to hear about how this had been so ingrained within their culture, you know, the the kickbacks and the bribes, it was just that's how business got done. And so for me, I think this is a, a culture story just as much as it is, you know, a pharma industry one, because we're really seeing how, you know, the impact that when these behaviors are normalized within an organization, the the impact it can have on the world, really. Yeah. And for any other organizations or industries out there that think that this is still a normalized and sort of something that's ingrained in your culture, time's up. If your time hasn't come, they should definitely be watching. Right. Use this as a wake-up call. So let me ask you this. How can highly regulated industries like pharma implement you know, robust compliance programs that foster ethical cultures? Well, you know, Jordan, I'm no expert on that, but that's exactly what we're going to hear today on Risky Business with Stacey Hanna. So we want to start at the beginning. We've made the assumption that most kids don't grow up dreaming of mitigating organizational risk. So how exactly did you get into compliance? Well, I, I was one of those kids that grew up wanting to be a lawyer, which sounds wildly boring, but I did not grow up wanting to go into compliance. And even when I got out of law school, which was so many years ago, I won't even tell you the number, a lot of folks weren't going into compliance then. So everyone went a very traditional track of M&A and corporate or litigation, which is what I did on the M&A corporate side. And I got into compliance accidentally. And so when I left um, my law firm to come to one of Pfizer's spinoffs, which was owned by KKR at the time, had just been purchased by KKR at the time, Capsigel, there was two lawyers, the general counsel and myself, and we had to divide up the work. 
And so he said one day to me, we've got to build this program, this compliance program, go and figure out what the FCPA is and, and how we're going to build a program. And I thought, oh, oh my goodness, like everything else I can handle, anything else I could start to do. But this was all new to me and it was completely accidental and it was something that we took very seriously, that the company took very seriously, but neither one of us had any idea how to do. And so we figured it out basically. And that's how I got my initial start in it. Although back then it was only one thirteenth of my job and today it's my whole job. I think you touched on something really interesting there in that a lot of compliance officers didn't start their careers in compliance. I feel like it's a very common theme. And I think we're seeing this start to shift where people are beginning their careers in compliance. But what do you think the advantages or disadvantages are of not starting your career? So I also have a completely different background. So most of the compliance officers you'll probably run into are ex-litigators. And I am not. I spent about six months doing litigation at my firm in New York and thought, oh, this is not for me, and went right to M&A corporate, which is more something that I love. And so I don't have traditional background at all in compliance. I think that it's actually good to start somewhere else. And it actually has been very um, helpful for me to start more on the business side or on the corporate side than on the litigation side. And the advantage to that, I think, is that while the biggest thing that you need to do is to mitigate risk and think about risk, think the way in which you can be helpful to the company. And a huge way to move the needle in compliance these days is to be a true business partner and to also figure out ways in which compliance can be a business driver. And there are ways that you can do that. And so I think people have been so focused on compliance mitigating risk that they don't look at the other side. And, and if you don't come from maybe the corporate or the business background, you just may not go there as easily, right? If you're a litigator, you're thinking more on the risk side. And I've always thought more on the business side. I think it's really helpful to have that background and to be able to really expand the compliance role in the, the compliance department and make it a true business partner at the same time while you're mitigating risk. Do you think with that whole topic on business outcomes and business drivers, is that something where, you know, if compliance leads on that, the business will follow and be like, oh, wow. I thought you were just hiding in a back room waiting for something bad to happen. Or do you think there's situations where you might have a CEO or you might have a board that's just expecting that? How does it come down to on that? You think is that more the exception to the rule now or is it, it's got to be a shift going on? I think it's currently an exception. I think there is a shift because there is a lot of kind of material out there that people can read, which is how to build a, an effective compliance program and a lot of that stuff that you start to read really talks about partnering with the business. But I still think it's the exception. And I think we've talked about this before, which is I think the compliance departments are still too much in firefighter mode. And while there is an aspect of compliance that is firefighting, right, there's things that come up where you have to constantly put out fires. I think the way in which you look at the department and build the department or enhance the department, if you already have a department needs to be more deliberate. It needs to be more thoughtful about how does this company do business? Where does it do business? What does it look like? And how can you not only mitigate that risk, but at the same time be a business driver? I think a big area of that in compliance is in the trade compliance area. I think there's a lot of things you can do there to really be a true business partner and help the business see that by mitigating risk, you can actually drive results. 
that's an area that I just don't think is built out enough right now in, in compliance departments. So we always ask our guests to share an oh shit moment. And we consider these essentially like career defining moments. It can either be because you had an aha moment and finally figured something out. It was a breakthrough or things really hit the fan. And I can't believe that just happened. So tell us what is your oh shit story? So mine's back at the beginning of even starting my career in compliance. And we had an issue at the spinoff company the day I walked in the door that was in a particular region and particular country that could have changed the path of the company, the path of the legal department. And we had to do an immediate and very thorough investigation of something that luckily came out good in the end. But I think that for me, a lot of people in their compliance career may have that particular moment somewhere down the line. I had it before I even started. And so for me, it actually defined how I built my first compliance program because it was the baseline for everything I did. And it was always in the back of my head. And to walk into that kind of situation really gives you a lot of perspective on how compliance issues can change companies, can change culture, can change departments. And so for me, that was that moment at the beginning. And for the rest of my career in compliance, I'll always think about that moment of starting off and how that defined everything I've done since then. What advice would you have for compliance teams going through this process? And how do you think you can ensure the process happens smoothly? I think the best thing to do in that particular case is to talk about the differences in the compliance program of the company being acquired and the compliance program of the acquiring company, right? The, the buyer. Because different departments are run different ways because they should be run in the way in which the company does business. So I think at the outset of that kind of relationship, of course, any buyer is doing diligence. But I think it's really important to actually talk about the culture of the company, how that's framed the compliance role, and how the compliance department is run at both companies and how best to merge those. There might be a lot of differences, there might be a lot of similarities, but I think right at the outset, having those differences up front and, and what they mean would be really important. From an M&A perspective, right, one of the biggest things for companies buying any company is to ensure that the integration of the two companies is done in a very deliberate and good way, or you've seen M&As that have failed all over the place because they're not done well. That's equally as important, of course, for the compliance role to make sure that you have that integrated effectively. If you look back at your career now and think about moments of pride, it could be the proudest moment in your career, one of the proudest moments in your career, anything that comes to mind? Yeah. So I think actually it was fairly recently in, in the middle of this pandemic, my team is taking a, a leading role in the COVID task force that we have for the company. And right at the beginning, maybe two weeks after this really impacted the U.S., we're making as a company a lot of products that both help with COVID-19 on the vaccine front and then also in terms of disinfectant products. It was really important for us as an essential business to make sure that we kept our sites open, but first and foremost, that we kept our people healthy and safe, our essential workforce. And right at the beginning of the pandemic, we had a potential issue because all of this was new to everybody. What, what were the requirements around people coming to the site? What were the requirements around testing? How could we keep people the safest but keep business rolling because we are 
very essential, especially for the products that are helping with COVID. We had an issue at one of our sites that was a three straight days, 18 hours a day of trying to figure it out where if we didn't get it right, we could have had a shutdown and that shutdown would have had an impact beyond the financial impact for the company. It would have had an impact for people fighting COVID. But our first and foremost was to ensure the safety of our people. And I think we were able to accomplish that and ensure the site stayed running. And at the end of that very, very long weekend, I have to say that was probably one of my proudest moments in, in ensuring that we kept everybody safe and kept operations running. I mean, you guys are, you're in it. You're working on the the Moderna vaccine or the, the new manufacturing that and so forth. It's got to be a, a sort of a, for a lot of compliance teams, you're thrown in the middle and like just the middle of the entire business now, the entire current events of what's going on in the world. It's got to be personally very intense and like you said, rewarding. And if you went back a year, would you have imagined that you would have spent the last year in, in this mode as opposed to what you were doing before? Definitely not. I never would have thought and, and, and nobody thought we'd be here a year later. Nobody thought we'd ever be in this. But I think what for us as a company, we have just an amazing workforce across the globe that has really performed under unbelievable circumstances. And as you said, with a lot of important work that's being done. So that first and foremost, just having those people around the world has been amazing. And I think that nobody could have envisioned being here. It's been one of those opportunities and experiences where it's very defining for folks personally and professionally. And I think as a company, Lanza has done an unbelievable job the past year of being a part of that, but doing it in a really thoughtful way that's, again, first and foremost, keeping our people safe, and second, making life-saving products across the globe. Definitely goes back to compliance driving business outcomes for sure. I think it's definitely taken that up 10 or 12 notches. <laughs> very different. Yeah, very different having compliance kind of involved. But why I think having the compliance team help with in a major crisis situation goes back a little bit to where I said compliance folks are usually the firefighters. They jump in and help solve an issue. So I think that's helpful to have a team that's used to doing that, solving a, ma a major crisis and helping to solve that crisis. And then also, I just, we're a global group. And so this is a global issue. And so for us, we're used to working in multiple markets and working at a very fast pace. And that's what this entire thing has necessitated. So we actually didn't know it, but we're perfectly positioned to, to really be helpful. So and, and we hope we've done that. If you got into a room of 20 other compliance officers, said like, here's why pharma is different in compliance. What are some of the, the key things that you're dealing with that a lot of your peers in other industries are not? Well, I think there's obviously a lot of industries that are heavily regulated. What I think is interesting, and I've you know been in pharma now a long time, and we're also we're CDMO, biotech, so we're a little bit different than your typical pharma company, which we're not. But what I think is interesting being in the, let's say, along the healthcare continuum, as we like to say, is that what you do as a company matters to people. And that's what always is in the back of my head and more so even right in this COVID situation where like the things that we produce and make potentially save lives, help lives. And so that's why I think it's very different being in the kind of the healthcare industry versus other industries and in compliance, because we're not just mitigating risk for the company and driving business for the company. It has impact well beyond 
us and, and into patients. And that's important. So Stacey, we've looked back at your career and some of the highs and lows that, that you've experienced, but I think maybe if we can start thinking about the future a little bit, what do you think we as a compliance community are doing right or wrong as an industry right now? So I don't know if if I would say there's anything wrong. What I think could be improved, and I've thought about this over the last couple of years in the compliance industry, is I see a lot of innovation going on outside with folks like GAN and, and other third parties that are really taking innovation and compliance to the next level. That's fairly new though, right? I would say like seven, eight years ago, I didn't see as much of that. What I don't think folks are doing enough of on the compliance teams though is doing that innovation piece. Probably especially if you're at a big company where it's just had a compliance program for a long time, everybody's marching along and everything's good and the government isn't walking in the door, knock on wood. And so there's no reason to shake it up and change it a little bit and go back and say, like, how could we do things differently? That's where I would love to see the compliance world move a little bit more and whether there's tech solutions to help with that or whether it's just folks in the department doing things differently. I'm not seeing a ton of that kind of dramatic innovation And what I always say to my team, which is like, we're not going to follow the curve, guys. We're going to make it and we're going to be ahead of it every single time. So how do we do things differently, both internally and externally to ensure that we're ahead of it and we're defining that path? That's really important for me. Absolutely. I wonder if it's almost a symptom of the reactive mentality that obviously compliance professionals, they have, there's so many regulations that need to be followed. And I think the best practices can be helpful, but I think there's a point of kind of diminishing returns where it also stops people from actually coming up with creative, unique solutions to their problems and just taking the best practice off the shelf and saying, okay, let's implement this and not really thinking creatively or innovating a potential new process. So how can compliance officers break free of these best practices That's such a great point. It goes back to what I said earlier, which was like to get it out of firefighting mode. Because if you're constantly in firefighting mode, you're not thinking about anything differently. And so maybe it's going back to the beginning. I've been fortunate enough to be able to, in one case, build and in the second case, enhance two programs. So I've had the ability to really start close to the beginning or at the beginning. And if you're walking into a department that's had a historic compliance department, you may not have that opportunity to go back and say how to do things differently, but you may want to do that. You may want to question, why are we doing this way and how can we do things differently? Businesses change all the time. The way in which they do business changes all the time. And this pandemic is going to change the way people work, the way people do business forever. And so there's no better time than now to go back and question as a compliance department, like, how are we doing things and how should we shift and pivot and change based upon what's happened in the world? Would you have any advice for your peers who might be at a a different stage of program maturity? I would say if you are really at the beginning of building a program, that technology is and should be forefront in your mind in terms of helping out. If you're at the beginning, you probably don't have a lot of internal resource. Where you add that internal resource is always tricky. And so I think the more you can focus on technology to help you, 
because let's be honest, the compliance department doesn't always get the first headcount in, in the company or in the legal department. And so where you can really use tech to enhance your program, I would do that because I think that can be a huge driver. And, and I have seen from companies outside a lot of innovation in that area, like from GAN. But I would say right at the beginning, look and see what solutions are out there and really do your homework and figure out what's going to work for you. But the more you can add tech, that's really important. Okay. One fun question. So if you had a magic wand, what is one area of your compliance program you would enhance if technology, budget, resources were, were not a factor? I would probably enhance the trade compliance group because that is just an area that has exploded over the last couple of years. We'll see what happens with the new administration, at least in the U.S., but because my team's global, while the U.S. is a big piece for us, obviously, around the world, I would definitely enhance that part of my team because all we hear about lately is trade, trade, trade. And trade compliance falls under my group. And while I have an unbelievable group of of professionals, I think that we could do a lot of work there. And that's also the area where I see as a big business driver, especially in markets that are a little bit higher risk, but could have higher value. I think that's where I would do. If we step back, if we get sort of looking at the big picture, if someone comes to you and says, what does compliance and ethics mean to you? And that sounds like a topic for an essay that you would write in eighth grade where you have to compare and contrast or something like that. But like, what do you think about that for you on a personal level? What does it actually mean to be in that space and what, what do they mean to you? So I think that they're different, right? I think ethics is something that's just built into people, if that sounds right. How you operate ethically goes well beyond how you operate within the company. You're either an ethical person or you're not. Compliance to me is more around the legal side, compliance with laws and regulations. and But the ethics piece is deeper than that. It's how you execute that as a person, as a company. And all of it, for me at least, goes to culture. It all goes to the culture of the company you're at and how that is promoted within the company in terms of having the right people that work there that are ethical folks. If you have the right culture and the right people, compliance is going to be pretty easy, right? Because you're going to have people that are wanting to do the right thing every day. And and then what does my team do? Help support them to do that. Where you have a compliance department that has to run around all the time and do a much heavier lift is where you don't have a good culture and you don't have people that are inherently ethical and then you've got your hands full. So I think so much of ethics and compliance just really is focused on culture and culture of the company and how it does business. When we started, you said you grew up wanting to be a lawyer. We sometimes make the assumption that people don't want to don't think about growing up and mitigating risk or being in the space. But if somebody was, or just in general, what sort of words or encouragement would you give to a peer or maybe even a five-year-old dreaming of FCPA programs on, you know, what they would consider or what they would, what they should do to get into the space? So there are, I don't know any five-year-olds that want to do it. Um, especially not mine who says my job's boring, boring all the time. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go to him and say, look, compliance is where you want to be. Let's start this head in that direction. I think <laughs> we can get them on board. I think we can. We might. The FCPA, it might be a little dry for them at five, but we could get we could get there. I think that, you know, I do see more and more people though coming out of law school and or maybe even a couple years out or even in law school because now there's a lot of compliance 
classes in law school, which you know was not the case when I was there. So there are a lot of people coming out saying, I want to go into this space, which is really exciting. But what I would say to them, to be honest, is that's great that you know what you want to do. Go get other experience in litigation, in in corporate and M&A and general commercial, because I think that knowing all of that just brings and lends itself just so nicely with compliance. And again, in let's talk about just being in a legal department if compliance is, is illegal at your particular company. Like having a background in more than just compliance is going to be so important because most likely if you're an international company, you're multinational, you have multiple countries to worry about, multiple regulatory schemes, there's going to be litigation issues that pop up, commercial issues, corporate issues. And if you just have a background in anti-bribery, anti-corruption, or just in trade, or just, it, it doesn't make you multifaceted. And I think you need to be multifaceted in compliance if you're going to do your job well. So even if you want to come out and go right into a compliance department, and I said this to somebody that I actually hired in the department who was a baby lawyer right out of law school, like, I said to her, I want you to go to the firm and get experience before you come back and do this. If this is what you want to do, that's great. But get out there and get your head around a lot more than just compliance. And I think in the end, it'll benefit you in the compliance world. Do you have an OSHIP moment that you'd like to share knowing that it will help others like you? Shoot us an email at riskybusiness at We'd love to hear from you.